Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week, as I mentioned recently, we're on a string of like two or three months worth of fantastic guests. And this week is no exception. We're talking to Michael Sadler, frontman for Canadian prog rockers Saga. So Saga have been around for like 45 years. And uh, they, most people I think probably know them best from this song right here, On the Loose. Early 80s, produced by Rupert Hine. It's a big hit. They really carve out an interesting niche for themselves as being very tuneful but all and quite synthy, at least in the 80s, but also have these prog rock flourishes. Such amazing stuff. Well, they've continued on. They've never stopped. And in fact, recently, a couple of months ago, they put out a new album called Symmetry, which is basically acoustic reimaginings of many of their songs. Now, we had John Waite on here last week talking about his new version, which is all his new album, which is also excellent, which is also acoustic versions of his songs. This one, I would say, Symmetry is a little more, as I said, a reimagining. It's not just playing, replaying songs on acoustic instruments. It's really rethinking these songs entirely. Uh, I will say, as much as I like this album, if you're new to Saga, I wouldn't necessarily start here. But if you're a longtime fan and want to check it out, by all means do. It's really a beautiful piece of work. So we talk about how this album even came to be. You know, was it in, was it in planning stages way before COVID even hit or what? And we get into, you know, other things like what it was like working with Rupert Hine. And I was curious especially about how they approached their sound in the 80s versus how they approached it in the 90s because there was very different kind of production techniques being used in those decades, as everyone knows. And I'm just baffled by prog rock in general. This music actually comes from people's brains. They think of this stuff. They they think of this and they don't think of like pop songs, that kind of mentality blows my mind. And so I wanted to understand a little bit better from Michael, what goes into all of this? How do you even write your music? He is an, an extremely polite and intelligent and erudite guy. I really, really enjoy talking with him. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation too. It's got a little bit of everything, okay? Anyway, Michael called me from his home in Toronto. Well, there's uh, a lot I want to talk to you about, and especially symmetry, of course. But before that, I think I saw yesterday or the day before on Twitter um, it poking around that it was the 43rd anniversary of the debut Saga album. Do I have that right? That's what I've been told. <laughs> uh, it's just and, just like just like yesterday, man. <laughs> I believe it. And I, you know, so of course, so many questions come up with that. You start thinking, did Michael have any idea forty three years ago that he would still be making music as the frontman for Saga? I mean, did you, you know, what were your? You were, I'm sure, just a hungry artist back then, wanting to be a rock star. You and know, it worked I, out. I, you know, I think back then, or anybody will say, I mean, you can't predict it's going to last this long, let alone five years. I thought, I think the threshold back then was like, if we could get a few albums out and last five years, maybe 10, that's a successful career. You know, we, we started hitting the 15, then 20 mark, and then 30, and I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> I started realizing I was spending more time uh, in a band than, you know, yeah. percentage-wise than being alive. And I thought, my yeah. goodness, I really did make this a career after all. <laughs> I know. 
I know. You know? But you can't. Yeah. You really get. You you can't say at the beginning because you you know it's all based on on you know you can write the greatest music that you think uh, on mm-hmm. the planet, but it really boils down to does anybody else like it? You know. Right. So it, it's right. really uh, it's it's up to the people that you're making the music for. So. Yeah, and that's been proven out over time, obviously, or else you wouldn't still be here. And so I have a lot of I have a lot of questions about your history, and I want to get into some of that. But we should talk about symmetry first because I have to tell you my reaction to this album. The first time I listened to it, and I think, well, that's fine, but I don't know why I would ever reach for symmetry instead of the regular versions of these songs. Right. And then I play it again, and I'm like, you know what? This is actually really nice. I kind right. of like this. And then I play it again. And then I, and the more I play it, the more I start thinking, this is actually a beautiful reinterpretation of saga material. And we right. all think, yes. And we, you know, so often we always say, when when someone does a cover, it's always like, why would you do a you know a, a copy of a cover? Why wouldn't you make it your own? Saga right. just did that with all of their songs. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So the, the, you know, uh, we've had various comments, very you know, some very similar to yours, where it's you know starting to grow on certain uh, yes. people that were semi-skeptical. I mean, that was the the idea of it. I was I, I read a review recently as well saying that you know that that I'm not usually a fan of acoustic music, but this really isn't that. This isn't yes. sit around the campfire and break break no. out some acoustic guitars and play mm-hmm. acoustic versions of the songs. We thought, well, if we're going to do one, let's do this right. Let's do it. You know, let's challenge ourselves, which we've always tried to do with every record, mm-hmm. but. We didn't want it to be just that, you know. Yeah. We wanted to reimagine these songs, and you know, it, it was it was challenging for everyone uh, individually um, for their respective parts. Because you have to remember, we're we're covering, uh, we're you know, reinterpreting, or reimagining, as it were, these songs that we are incredibly familiar with. We've mm-hmm. been, we've been playing them or have known about them for a mm-hmm. very long time. So, if it was a brand new band album. I wouldn't do it the way we did it, you know, where mm-hmm. everyone's in a remote location and that, because the, the the idea of doing a band album is everyone, you know, hopefully in the same room when you're rehearsing sure. it and working on the parts. And but but this was really taking your existing part, each individual's existing part, and you know, reimagining it and going, okay, what what do I need to do? So each of us had our own set of challenges. Mine vocally was, you know, approaching each song and. While you want to keep it familiar because it, it still has to sound like the song, mm-hmm. you, I had to adjust, uh, you know, my, my approach to the the attitude the way it was sung. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes changing melodies to suit, but not making it so radically different that certain hooks mm-hmm. weren't still there. So it was a real balancing thing between, uh, you know, the old and the new for everybody. But like I say, this was probably one of the most challenging records we've ever made. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it, especially yeah. if everyone is is uh separated you know and which i think it is right everyone's just recording parts in their homes yeah but and sending you know the files because of the, yeah but the, because of the nature of the record it was like a almost like a blessing in disguise because mm. it, you, you really were left to your own devices because it's your part and it's yeah. your part that you're reimagining so it really was up to you how do you want you know your part to be uh, portrayed or, or, or what, what is the best approach to your existing part for this new arrangement and this new style of, of playing the song. So mm-hmm. um, it worked out perfectly, um, yeah. you know, because I didn't want someone breathing down my neck as I'm coming up with new ideas for an existing vocal. So I was left, you know, we, we shared ideas saying, I'm working on this approach. What do you guys think? You know, share mm-hmm. files and stuff. But we didn't really need to be in the same room because we, like I say, we were doing individual things to our individual parts. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, 
How much was it? Was the album a byproduct of lockdown? When lockdown happened, did you guys think, well, um, we may as well do a, a you know an album like it, this, it, or was it, it already in talks beforehand? It was. Uh, it, what, what the lockdown did was afford us the luxury of, of the, the timing was ideal mm. because um, we had been talking about doing an acoustic record. The record company, you know, approached and said, you know, it might be nicer than an acoustic version of, of songs or blah, 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 and an unplugged record, as it were. Yeah. And we kind of filed that and thought, you know, if, you know, if we did it right and that we actually... On the European tour of 2017, which was, you know, at that time, the farewell tour, we were supporting ourselves, essentially. Before we came out, we had a backdrop that was not that dissimilar from, from Symmetry cover. Um, and we played, we just had acoustic instruments in front of that, that, uh, that nice. backdrop. And we called ourselves Pockets, which was the original name of the band. And we played... I would say half of what's on the record mm -hmm. in its sort of raw form. So we were doing it kind of already. So mm -hmm. we certainly didn't have the, the cellos and, and fiddle player in that, but mm -hmm. we were hinting at it already. So we, we had oh. that as a mindset. Like if we were going to do acoustic, this is how we were going to do it. So yeah. the germ of the idea was already there for sure. And then the lockdown happened. We thought, you know what, this is the perfect time to work on a record like this. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious where, now I've never seen Saga live, unfortunately, and I've always wanted to. But <clears throat> I don't. So I don't know if when you talk about playing the acoustic set, if a banjo gets factored in. But there, a banjo play banjo plays heavily in this album. Like almost there is gorgeous with this bout with the banjo. get factored into all this I, you know it just i think it came down to to ian again you know left to his own devices of what shall i do uh from in the guitar department and he he went for banjo he could hear banjo on a few tracks and especially mm -hmm. you know uh, always there which i think came up beautifully but yeah. um the banjo wasn't involved with live live was just mike horn playing pretty much the same kind of thing anything we could find from a thrift store and we just set mm -hmm. it up on the table each night <laughs> Uh, pots and pans and whatever he needed he actually picked up acoustic guitar at one point as well jim played fretless bass uh, acoustic fretless bass and ian played solely acoustic uh, daryl played a little bit of accordion uh some clarinet and the two of us just played two pianos but uh they, like i say that i mean that that was the germ of the idea and it grew from there uh okay. you know adding uh, uh ian with his, his banjo and i think he threw in some mandolin at one point as well so Okay. Yeah, it's really special. And um, you're so right. I've I recently talked to somebody else who put out an acoustic album recently, and it's very nice, but it's more like you were saying, 
acoustic versions of existing songs as opposed right. to reimagined right. interpretations right. of existing songs. Right. And so I really feel like you guys nailed it. And it's interesting when I was saying how at first I wasn't so sure the magic to me of Saga is the incorporation of a sort of prog mentality, especially going back to the beginning, the prog mentality with almost a new wave or synth uh, angle to it all. And I, so I wanted to ask you about that specifically because I had Rupert Hine on here a couple of times actually mm -hmm. before he passed away. Yeah. And we talked about you obviously. And um, I wondered if, if do you credit Rupert for having helped you find that marriage of the two or was that the saga philosophy all along was that a nature byproduct I, you of know, being you, the 80s? you know what I, I think um, I think Rupert helped it go in the direction it was headed and and really mm -hmm. fine-tuned it we had always been I mean Jim and I we, you know it's it's uh, documented and then I'll say it to my grave but we were so influenced by Gentle Giant at the very beginning mm -hmm. the two of us mm -hmm. for sure and then you add Ian's rock uh, guitar background and Steve's R&B drum mm -hmm. background mm -hmm. and and um, Jim Gilmore's sort of classical training and I think but combining all those things took it away from being just an out and out prog band especially the the rhythm uh, the, the rhythm blues part coming from Steve so uh -huh. I think that it, it that that blend kind of made it an enigma for, for reviewers for and critics alike for years and it, it put us in this kind mm -hmm. of gray area where it mm -hmm. wasn't quite proggy enough for the for the purists on the prog mm -hmm. side and not quite out and out rocky enough for the you mm -hmm. know the AOR rock so we found ourselves you know kind of crossing the line uh, mm -hmm. here and there like blurring the lines as it were between yeah. the two but I think uh, Rupert recognized that and just uh, just nailed it and just brought brought that out naturally what was already kind of there so yeah. I think he just yeah. put an exclamation point on it I agree. And um, yeah, when I think of Saga, I always think of this mixture of Rush and The Fix, and that, lot of that has to do with with Rupert. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, what, what was he like to work with? How did you even get him to hop on the Saga train? I, I, I'm sure that was done uh, in retrospect uh, through management. I have to assume that they, they made the first connection and then he uh, obviously did his research and had checked us out and, you know, they, it was agreed. And um, I, what I do remember most of, of all of the, the things and the tidbits of working with him and uh, Stephen Taylor was the first meeting in the, um, in the control room and, you know, sitting there and, and Rupert's, uh, you know, talking about blah, 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 what he'd like to bring to Saga and this and that, and he got certain mm -hmm. ideas. And, you know, he said, well, you know, let, let's break it down. He'd start, you know, let's talk about guitar. You know, this is blah, 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 and this is what I hear, maybe this and that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about bass, let's talk about drums, let's talk about keyboards. And he left me to the end. And he mm -hmm. essentially um, said a few things, but what it boiled down to is he said, you know, we know you can sing. Now I want you to forget everything you've learned. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I came from a from eight years of a church choir background, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then straight into like a high school band, and then then off off and running. So I had that that disciplined way of singing, uh, mm -hmm. you know, nailed. Um, mm -hmm. So like you said, you know, just forget about everything you learned, and now just sing, just feel it, just just go out there, and you know, don't be afraid to make a mistake or sing it a different way if it hits you as the song's going by, and and just relax with it. But I just found it really fascinating. In the same breath, said, "We know you can sing. Now forget what 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 you learned." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. You know, having me do crazy things like, you know, I want to sense some anxiety uh, in your voice from doing on the loose. So he put me up on like thirty feet in the air on a crossbeam of the of the barn that was the the life. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For real. You can see the the pictures on the inside of the world's apart cover. He did that and and wind him up uh, the middle section. Mm -hmm. 
I was woken in the morning at about 8.30 in the morning to the, do- <clears throat> the door of my room opening, and the, um, the engineer came in with a, uh, a boom or a microphone on a boom stand and lowered it in front of me. I was still laying in bed, mind you, mm. and threw the headphones on me, and he closed the door. And I heard Steve in the Stephen in the control room say, "Good morning, Michael. Uh, you know the track. Uh, I'll give you eight bar lead up. Just sing along." And it was just it was that middle section, that quiet bit. The first time it breaks down and wind him up, and the track came up. I sang it through, and then I hear him say, "Thank you very much." And I thought, "What?" <laughs> and in came the engineer, grabbed the mic stand and the headphones, and off he went. And I was like, "What just happened?" <laughs> and I and I you know I threw on my house coat. I ran across the parking lot. I walked into the control room. And there was Rupert and Steve at the, at the controls. And, and they said, "Good morning." I said, "What? What? 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 What?" He said, "Well, you know, last night we were trying really hard to get this section to wind him up." And I said, "We'll try it tomorrow." I said, "Yeah." He says, "We just got it." I said, "What are you talking <laughs> about?" I said, "I sang it once and I just woke up." He said, "Listen," <laughs> and he played it back, and I went, "My God, you're right." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's but it was, great. It was, that, it was that kind of outside of the box thinking and and, and vision mm-hmm. that that was such a joy to work with. I mean, yeah. these guys were, and you could tell. They, I remember sitting back at one point looking over their shoulders and the two of them were sitting at the desk and they played some passage back and uh, you know a moment went by and, and Rupert kind of looked at Steve and Steve looked at Rupert didn't say a word and Steve leaned forward and tweaked something and then they played it again they looked at each other and nodded their heads and I thought what the oh, hell's going on here wow wow that <laughs> is mean, chemistry they, they, yeah they were they, they were that in tune uh, yeah. and having worked and, and knew exactly what, what, what the other one was talking about so it was great yeah. it was absolutely great I love that yeah. I love it yeah, I love him. I miss him. He was a genius. You know, really? it's sad yeah. that he's not with us anymore. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's. I don't want. I'm sure you've talked about on the loose and everything a lot, and I. So I don't want you to have to dwell on it. But I have always been curious. Why in the states anyway? Is that really all we know? Well, I, and I've never known because I was. I I loved on the loose when it came out, but I didn't. I didn't hop on the saga bandwagon until years later so i didn't i in real time i don't know why i don't know what the next single is i don't know what is going on with the next album heads or tails which is also very good i don't know why these things aren't being played on the radio as often as on the loose was what was the deal well, I mean, in a nutshell, kind of looking back, um, we had the, the tremendous success with On the Loose and Wind Em Up. Mm-hmm. Uh, both had videos playing constantly, okay. especially On the Loose on, on MTV. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're one of the first acts to actually have a, a video for, the, uh, for the, mm-hmm. the, that format. Music video television was a brand new thing, and so their, you know, their, their, their content was, was left a lot to be mm-hmm. desired. So that put us in a very fortunate position where you know, we got the, the airplay that we received from MTV on a daily basis was monstrous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that really catapulted things for us. Um, Heads or Tails was a matter of, um, well, two things. One was lack of touring, and, and the other was the record company. I think at the time, uh, and, 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 you know, all, all fairness to them, I mean, they're looking for the next hit on, mm-hmm. on the next album. And, and I think sometimes a record company will, will you can deliver uh, as good a record as the one before. Mm-hmm. Like every, all the elements are there, and for any, you know, you could reverse them and rever- you know, release that one first, and same mm-hmm. thing, thing may happen. But unless it's astoundingly better, 
uh, and noticeably better, then it doesn't seem like it's going to be as successful. So mm. consequently, perhaps they don't work it as hard as they would have, mm. is the best I can. But again, okay. touring is a huge thing. We just, uh, it, one one hand washes the other, and without the mm-hmm. support, it was like, well, why, you know, let's not go out there and lose money and just play for the sake of it if, if no one's going to, no one even came and went. Because at that time, you really needed the backup from, you know, radio and, and, and TV and stuff. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, okay. It was partly to blame for us, and you know, you go where the audience is, and, and we've always we'd nurtured Germany from the very beginning and Europe in general. Mm-hmm. So it was really buzzing and happening. So we we concentrated our efforts uh, over there at the time. That's interesting. So the flyer off of Heads or Tails it becomes a minor hit. So you, you've just come off a really successful song and album, and the follow-up to that, though, you didn't feel like it was... Now, I always I always feel bad when I approach these conversations as if Breaking America is the greatest thing in the world, but I am... <laughs> that's not what I mean, but what I, what I am always curious about is that if you've had success, why do people not do whatever it takes to maintain the success? Why do they change it up? And it, were you just not interested in touring the states at that point? Well, well, I don't know if, you, if it was a matter of changing it up. Uh, I mean, Heads or Tails is very, very similar to Worlds Apart uh, mm-hmm. to a degree. You know, I, I think it was just a matter of, again the, the not having tour support mm-hmm. or what seemed like lack of interest uh, made us feel like nobody cared whether we we came mm-hmm. you know to the states to tour or not, whether okay. that be the case or not. I mean, uh, you can take a lesson. We should have taken a lesson, perhaps, from Russia at the time, who who. Really, the success in the States is almost 90% from just pounding the touring. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they just toured so much, I, I think second only to Sticks, perhaps, in terms of yeah. how many yearly shows they did. So they really, really pounded the States. And, and perhaps had we made that decision uh, to do the same thing we did to Europe, to the United States, although mm-hmm. it's a much bigger territory, mm-hmm. it, perhaps things would be in a different state today. It's hard mm-hmm. to say. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's, okay. it's, it's 2020 hindsight mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Okay. Was that was at any time um, was there ever an issue of of uh, labels or A and R or whoever saying, "Well, you're a Canadian band, and we don't think Canadian bands can translate into North into the states." Because I've had other Canadian guests on here, and they have said that from time to time. You know, Lawrence Gowan 
made great music, but for whatever reason, or the band Toronto, they, for somebody somewhere decided you're Canadian, you just go ahead and stay in Canada. The rest of the, <laughs> you know, and I well, like, music is music. It kicks ass. Why not just keep playing it? I agree, but it's, it's strange because I don't know whether it's coming from the bands themselves or this mm. strange enigma that you can be uh, massive in Canada and not get, you know, uh, uh, get crickets everywhere else mm -hmm. in every territory in the world, Europe and, and the U.S. Um, included. Or you're huge in Europe, which is the case with Saga, and mm -hmm. even, even to this day there's some Canadians that, that have no idea. Even, you know, if they do know the name, they think we're a European mm -hmm. band. You know, it, so it's, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's coming from, from the bands and being told, you know, uh, oh, you're Canadian, you bet, you'd best just stick to a Canadian market because mm -hmm. no one's going to be interested. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I mean, you look at bands like Triumph, they said, screw mm -hmm. that. If they were told that, they certainly mm -hmm. said, screw that, we're going to the States anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it was a fallacy, and and it remains yeah. to, to be the state. Like you say, good music is good music. It doesn't matter who yeah. created it or what country you're from. So. Right. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious if that ever came up. Now, um, the moment I did become a bigger Saga fan was when I found Wildest Dreams in a thrift store about 10 years ago. And um, I love that album. And I know, <clears throat> and I'm a child of the 80s. And so like my favorite Yes albums are the 80s albums. My favorite Rush albums are the 80s albums. I like that stuff. I'm imagining Saga fans, like diehard Lifetime fans, think Wildest Dreams is not up there as true Saga. But to me, that I love that. So I wondered if at the time, did anyone tell you, you're going too far down a synth pop road here. You're not the saga that we know and love. If anybody did, we did listen to them. I mean, good, because you know, I love that album. <laughs> because it, for me, it was just a natural progression. We made mm -hmm. that record the way we were feeling. Every record just reflects where you're where you're at mentally and creatively at the time. So, you know, you know, for someone to say, well, you know, it's wildest dreams for me. You know, it's not the true saga. Of course, it's the true saga. If we made it, it's the true saga because mm -hmm. it's just it's just us then. You yeah. know, at that moment in yeah. time, so it's still true saga. Mm -hmm. um, was it a phase we went through? I don't know, maybe, mm -hmm. but but it was something we felt like doing creatively. We went and we committed to it and put everything into it. So, it, it, for me, it is it's still true saga. It's just mm -hmm. you know, if you were used to the the bombastic. 
uh, chapter songs and uh, you know sci-fi lyrics and things like that, that's that's fine. But if you can't adapt and say, you know, oh, they've got another side to them, then you're not being true to yourself as a fan. You're not true. keeping an open mind. So. Absolutely true. Uh, likewise, I feel like, and this happened to everybody when the '90s rolled around. Things like synthesizers became a little more passe. Everything got a little more harder, a little um, grittier, you know, a little more organic, maybe. And so did Saga. Do you feel like at the time is that is the, is your '90s output like I don't know? For instance, the Generation 13 album. all harder is it uh are you again just sort of evolving with the times this is us then I, yeah i, I think the, the the records we put out in the 90s with the exception of um of generation 13 because that is, is almost like a some yeah. people call it you know, like a rock opera or whatever that's a very True. conceptual piece so True. uh with the exception of that though i think the 90s stuff was just our response to like the, the grunge and th you say mm -hmm. things getting more organic it was also the, the emphasis was that any kid could make music. Anybody mm -hmm. could pick up, you know, and start making songs. It was, you know, just pick up a guitar and stuff. That didn't make it all great just because that was the movement. But mm -hmm. that was the movement. Yes, the, the trend was, to, uh, you know, moving away from synth-type synth bands and that kind of thing, and technology-based you know, technology bands and that kind of thing. Um, I, I think the records we made then were our subtle attempt to try and not fit in, but just make it maybe perhaps more palatable to the, those mm -hmm. that were listening to the other kinds of music at the time. But but at no time did had, had we uh, at any point in our career, or including the 90s, said, oh, we better start making music that best suits the market right yeah. now or we're dead in the water. We just, yeah. you know, bent a little bit and experimented a bit and, and wrote it through, and, and, and mm -hmm. our fan base came along with us. They're very forgiving. Mm -hmm. Good. <laughs> and, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll quickly turn to you and say, that's not my favorite record, but I'll wait yeah. for the next one, you know. So, <laughs> that's um, what we want. Yeah, that's so... Good. Yeah, we just we just carried on and we just did okay. the best we could at the time. So. Okay. I was reading, um, talking about touring and everything. I think early on, did you open for Jethro Tull or go on a tour with Jethro Tull? We did. We did a great tour. There was a series of tours that same year, I think four or five tours, and we were just piggyback, like one after another. But Tull was one of them. It was the Broad Store and the Beast tour. Mm -hmm. I think 82, but don't, don't, uh, 
quote me on that. But okay. uh, that was a great tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we we did. Uh, I, I think probably about twenty or thirty cities with them. Nice. I uh, I love them too, and I've had Ian on here a few times actually. And I'm curious, you know, do you have any stories about that time? Is he as much of a rock on tour in the dressing room as he is uh, in real life? He is. Um, he's not. Ian is not Jethro, and everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it couldn't be more apparent than meeting him face to face because he's just an English gentleman. He's mm-hmm. a country squire, and that's, that's exactly it. what he is backstage. Very quiet, very well spoken, very polite to everybody, making sure that we were cool every day. We'd stick his head in the dressing room, making sure that you know we were being looked after. And uh, it was great. It was very very mm-hmm. good. We were very well treated. So good, good. Yeah, I love yeah. him. Um, yeah. I've cur- I'm curious too. You guys have put out so many great live albums over the years. What's your philosophy to, a, you know, putting together a set list for a live show? It, it varies, you know. It really depends on, the, A, the territory, B, uh, how long since we've been there. Have they heard this album? Are they familiar with this material? One thing that we, we have a new problem, or it started cropping mm-hmm. up, I guess, about 10 years ago, putting a set list together. You see, at the beginning, when you have one album and eight songs, it's no problem. Well, actually, you do have a problem filling a, a set list because <laughs> right. you've only got eight songs. Right. So right. what are you going to do for the rest? You know? <laughs> right. uh, now, it's what are we not going to play? You know, the, uh-huh. the, you know, everyone will, someone or everyone will leave saying, you know, oh, it was a great show, great show. I just, they didn't play my favorite song, or they right. didn't play this song. You can't. You can't possibly. All you can do is try and give as best a cross-section as possible, songs that the, the audience enjoys hearing, songs the band enjoys playing. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing you want to do is put two or three songs in the set that the band actually either hates or just finds it really mm-hmm. mundane to play, even if the audience wants to hear it, because it's not fair. Because mm-hmm. because we're not going to deliver it the... the the same way we would if it's a song that we really dig playing. Mm-hmm. So, so an ideal set list has all of that. The, the songs that the audience wants to hear, the ones we want to play, and okay. you know enough of new stuff, but not too much because they're unfamiliar. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't want to bash them over the head with with like uh, you know songs that you've just heard so many times. Having right. said that, there are songs <clears throat> that I'm sure if we didn't put it in the set, we wouldn't be able to leave the building just because mm-hmm. they they would demand it. So. But it's tricky now, you know. Like I say, it's it's finding that perfect balance of, of you know staying relevant, uh, staying interesting. You want to throw something they've never seen before, will only see on that tour, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. But it's a nicer luxury to have than looking, you know, hunting for songs to put sure, in the set. Sure, sure. You know, sort of desperate times. So. You guys are lucky. Um, what is the appetite for new saga music, like on the radio? I, for instance, the 2020 album.
I really like that album a lot. And is your latest single going to be played on the radio? Is it getting played in Germany, where you guys are also really big? Um, what is the fate of new music, new music, not not symmetry music, but new Saga originals? Well, the, the <clears> problem, I'll relate a story for, regarding Rush and their hometown of Toronto, but... Um, you see, everything's changed. The, the, the landscape for rock radio, obviously, is so much different than it used to be. And bands like ourselves and Sticks and, and Rush, if they were still uh, together, um, will get played on the radio, but they get, will get played on, on what's, uh, you know, the classic rock stations, yeah, uh, yeah. which are all over. And, I, and if they're not owned by Clear, uh, state, you know, uh, then, then they're yeah. owned by someone else. But it's a, you know, it's a very con- uh, conglomerate kind of thing. If you don't fit into the format, so you've got to be classic rock. Even if you come out with new material, case in point, I believe Rush was um, was in uh, Toronto, and I think Getty had dropped by the Q107 station uh, when they uh, you know released the last album, and he came out for a few quick words, and they played a couple of tracks from the album, and that's the only time mm. that they played the, the, anything from that, because the album wasn't classic yet. It yeah. hadn't been out long enough to be yeah. part of the classic sort of repertoire. Uh, so well, I guess what I'm driving at is that it's, it's difficult. Um, we are getting airplay in, in, um, in, in Germany at the moment on certain stations. Again, they're classic rock stations. Mm-hmm. But I think we're getting away with it, even though it's new product, because they're old titles. Yes. So they come under yeah. the classic rock uh, banner. So uh, that's helping that. But, you know, I, I think these days you, you can't rely on... on brand new materials um, of, of an color self mm-hmm. an 80s band if you like or classic rock band such as ourselves unless it's going to be on one of those stations so it's it's really you're not relying on radio per se anymore yeah i don't i don't understand this to be honest because i would think it would be so much easier to uh maintain a known asset like saga than it would be to break an unknown asset like some new up-and-coming band and so we know that if i were what do i know this is probably why i don't have these jobs but if i were a if i programmed a radio station and i would think okay well my i focus on classic rock artists but the new uh, anywhere you want to go is a great new saga song i'm going to play that because i know my listeners already like saga because they'll tune in they'll keep tuned in for on the loose and everything I'm going to show them the new stuff because there's already an existing love affair going on there, but it doesn't actually work that way. No, it doesn't. And unfortunately, um, the, the days of being an independent DJ or, you know, having your time slot and playing what you mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, while still staying with the format of the station, uh, is tricky, uh, if not impossible. So these guys, even if they want to, their hands are really tied mm-hmm. and it really is controlled, unfortunately. And that's just, uh, that's what yeah. it's become. You know, unless yeah. you unless you're doing private radio stations or internet radio, and that you you really don't have a lot of chance, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand. No, that. I don't either, and I haven't for years. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of people, and and then the stupid thing is the audience agrees. So the very mm-hmm. audience that we're talking about trying to reach agree mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. they want to hear new stuff yeah. on the radio. You know, yeah. so I, I don't know. get it either. It's, it's, I know, I don't get it. Um, okay, I want to. I I need to ask some probably some really dumb questions about prog rock because I, some of it I love the catchier stuff, you know, that actually has hooks and melodies. I love that. Some of the more long winded noodling stuff. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about prog in general is way over my head. And I, whenever I listen to that, I always think someone thought of this, someone like 
thought instead of writing a poppy, catchy three minute song, we're going to go for 20 minutes in like all different directions. And is that the when you write a song? I don't know. I'm trying to even figure out what my question is. Is that the music you hear in your head? Do you like that? Do you find that catchy and interesting? Are you, is it virtuosity? Is it a matter of like, let me show you what all we can do. Three minute pop songs are boring. Well, you know what? I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of the more ethereal passages like you're talking about and that. And uh, I appreciate good musicianship and that, but it, I think I've always thought this way, but, but I, I certainly uh, had this, this mindset now that a good song is a good song whatever mm. genre, first of all. Mm. But even within Prague, it, you've got to keep it, as far as I'm concerned, interesting. You've got yeah. to, to have a hook. You've got to have a, I'm not talking commercial radio top 40 kind of hook, but something, mm -hmm. repeat something once in a while. Yes. It's okay. Yes. You yeah. know, have a format for the song. You can mm -hmm. do whatever you like mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. that section and make it really musical and really cool. Yeah. But that's what would make it really even cooler is if you just, are there for a minute and you do that mm -hmm. then you move on to the next bit but come back to it oh mm -hmm. obviously it's all in the arrangement as far as i'm concerned um yeah. you can be as, as proggy as you want as as musical as you like but you know have a, a good solid melody on top of it and something to remember and something catchy about it and and then i mean yeah i i do get it gets lost on me um, the, the longer passages and that i appreciate the musicianship mm -hmm. i appreciate the sounds and that kind of thing but um I just find myself, you know, if I was driving on the, uh, if it came on the radio mm -hmm. after about seven minutes, I wasn't getting anything from it. I would change the station, and I was just, right. you know, it's like, okay, guys, you know, I, unless you're going to move on in the next ten seconds as I reach for the dial, I'm, yeah. you're out of here, you know. Yeah. Does your brain think up three-minute pop songs? I mean, does your, do you and the, you know, the Crichton and Gilmore, do your brains think like that, or is no. it? Uh, no, no. Okay. no. We, it starts with the opposite, with what I was talking about trying to avoid. We'll come up with a, a really very, very cool musical passage, but then you, you won't draw that out thinking, okay, well, let's turn, the, let's make this musical passage four minutes long, and we'll mm -hmm. make it, we'll do something to it in that four minutes. But it's basically essentially built around this thing. No, we'll take that kind of an idea, trim it down to, okay, imagine this being the the bridge of the song. Mm. It'll be about this long. Let's let's oh let's put a, a change it a little bit for, on this final chord because we're going to be going into that. So in other words, we'll come up with the musical bits, then turn them into sections, and then you start arranging it. Going okay, mm. now we need we need to start from somewhere, and we'll work on some musical bits, and go oh that's a nice mood right there. That would be a nice intro, and then mm. you try and marry you know marry the parts together as best you can. If something isn't fitting, you lose it. You come up with something new, but you don't start out with that 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 finished song like an on the loose or uh -huh. uh, or one them up uh mm -hmm. it will go through a number of changes before it gets to that point but mm -hmm. um yeah okay. all, the, all, all the fiddly bits we take care of uh, at the beginning <laughs> that's what i wondered okay and yeah. then similarly a lot of prog bands don't write love songs or their songs <laughs> you know they're not about relationships or a broken heart or whatever they're it's science fiction or it's fantasy or whatever and so and yours are first of all i should say michael the thing that i've always loved about saga is that you don't go too far in that other direction you do keep things rooted in hooks and melodies that's what i love about you um but i am curious like you mentioned a second ago there's kind of a sci-fi twinge to a lot of your music why is that is that your influence well the in the in the early days um the the sci-fi that that uh 
that we're speaking of really applies only to the um, the series of songs called Chapters, and mm-hmm. they were uh, all part of one continuous story, but spread out over a number of albums. Rather than doing an out-of-the-box um, uh, conceptual record and say, this is our sci-fi opus, as it were, mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. we thought, let's make a jigsaw puzzle out of it, uh, put certain, you know two or three songs on, on a number of albums, and put them out of sequence, and, uh, and come up with, with what the story's about. But certainly the rest of uh, the lyrical content mm-hmm. is either um, uh, about human behavior or, you know, and, and, if, and if love and relationships comes into that, then, then so be it. I made the switch uh, probably around Wildest Dreams started, you know, mentioning, I always said I would never say the word love, maybe just imply mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I finally did on Wildest Dreams, so that kind of <laughs> that mm-hmm. broke that trend. But there's a way to do it, and there's a way to do it was while, while still being proggy if you totally. if people need mm-hmm. you know if they need it to, to still be prog um again it's it's the content and the context in which you say it and the, and what's yeah. happening musically behind it so yeah um yeah, yeah I, okay. I stopped being yeah i stopped being afraid of being emotional okay. <laughs> or at that least showing showing, showing right. emotions <laughs> right right okay you have lost very little in your voice over the years and your voice is a it's a magical instrument it it can, you talking about coming from kind of a church background that makes sense it's um there's a theatricality to your voice that is that not no one else really has and i'm curious what you do to keep it in shape i do i, I do surprisingly little um, i've never been a, a a singer that sings from the throat obviously from from the diaphragm and that was mm-hmm. you know taught uh, at a very early age at the church choir but <clears throat> i don't really do anything to anything special to um I mean, I have a fairly, you know, uh, healthy lifestyle. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't. I, I stopped drinking coming up on twenty years now. Good for you. Uh, yeah, um, uh, that I think had something to do with with keeping the uh, certainly the longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may have burnt out um, some years ago had I not stopped the alcohol. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I really, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Um, mm-hmm. I don't abuse it, uh, but I don't certainly don't. You know, I, I don't even warm up before a show. You know, they Still make jokes about it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like, Michael, are you going to warm up now? And I'll go, I'll sing one <laughs> note, and they go, okay, he's warmed up. And people look at me like, wait, wait whoa, 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 whoa. You know, the funniest thing was um, uh, a case of that, a quick quick story. We were on, on tour. I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was in that that uh, in that touring that, that involved the, the Toll Tour. Mm. Um, but it was a three-act bill, and we were in the middle. Uh, so there was an act before us, then us, and then the main the, the main band. And the act before us was about to go on stage, and they're in the. It was one of these arenas where you're in the, the locker room with the local team, or the visiting team, and they're next door. And I can hear the singer getting ready to go on, and he's doing all his scales. He's doing the la 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 la. He's doing the whole bit for like three minutes, and I'm I'm thinking, whoa, you know. And, I'm, and then I looked at the guys. I said, I, I got I got to you know check these guys out when they go on. Sounds like the singer's really got some pipes, you know. I, I uh-huh. I'm really curious, and we go out there. And they hit the stage, and they start really, it's a really driving rock song. And like, oh, God, this has got energy. The singer walked up to the mic, and he proceeded to go, <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, what was all this warm-up about? <laughs> you can obviously sing. <laughs> does, that, does that really help the yelling? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's great. But that, that was it. his warm-up. Yeah, my, my, my warm-up is maybe I'll cough once or twice and off I uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't want to make light of it. I, I am, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Um, 
I've never had to. I've, I think I've had to cancel one show in my life, uh, and wow. that was due to laryngitis. Uh, I think I had a couple of shots, and two days later I was back on stage. So. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Um, okay, I wanted to, before I forget, we have some Patreon supporters, and I threw it out to them that I would be talking with you. And one of them, Jay, uh, Stephen Poshman, came back with a question. That's yeah. kind of the deal. You know, you support us, we let you include some questions. And he said, I seem to remember Rupert Hines saying on an earlier Hustle episode when he was talking to us, that he insisted Sadler sing in a lower register for Worlds Apart album compared to the previous Saga albums. And he wondered if, first of all, did that actually happen? And maybe that goes back to the story you told earlier about forget what you've already, what you know. But if you did, or he did, were, were you offended by that? Was that a, did that irk you at all? I certainly wouldn't have been offended by something like that because I was such a, you know, we were all so open-minded about whatever fresh new ideas we could, you know, uh, Rupert had to offer or Stephen. I, I do remember him mentioning something like that, but it was more of, a, I think, of a generality singing, mm -hmm. uh, along with, you know, uh, we know you can sing, uh, now forget everything. In other words, it doesn't always have to be up there and always, mm -hmm. it's, it's not not showing off kind of thing, but, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to always, you know, impress us and, you know, just, just, just sing, sing it down here. Say, let's see what mm -hmm. else your voice can do. Let's open it up to different possibilities and mm -hmm. sing in a low, if, if it involves singing in a lower register, maybe we can get something, maybe there's something really valuable in there we can tap into. Mm -hmm. So it would have been that for sure. But I, I do remember having conversations about, range and, 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 and approach to, to melodies. So, mm, so okay. yes, but yeah. Okay. So not offended, but yeah, those conversations. Well, certainly not offended. Happen. Like I yeah. say, I mean, we were more than open to any suggestions that they had. We could always say, you know, well, you know, I don't really want to do that or, okay, we'll try it, but I don't think it'll work. Right. Uh, but even when we did that nine times out of 10, it did work because they knew what they were talking about. So mm -hmm. there was really mm -hmm. no point in objecting in the first place, True. but, uh, True. but uh, no, certainly no objection at all. Okay. Um, okay, so now I got to ask kind of the hard questions. Why did you leave in 2007? <sighs> nothing to do with, um, uh, you know, uh, personalities, nothing to do with musical mm -hmm. differences, that kind of thing. Uh, rather boring, really. I just said it was uh, 2007. It had been 30 years exactly. And I and I just said to the guys, you know, uh, you know, it's been 30. I uh, feel good about where we're at, and um, it's time to do something. You know, uh, it was more to do with my personal life and, and being mm -hmm. at home more and that kind of thing. And and I had always wanted to, um, you know, have a family uh, mm -hmm. of my own with my wife. And I thought, you know, this is the good time to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, timing-wise, it's almost like we had a plan because uh, it was about. Less than a year later, uh, my my son was born. So, oh nice, uh, yeah, and um, yeah, it, it was just I, I it wasn't I wasn't jaded. I wasn't uh, nothing put me off. It wasn't like oh I'm I'm sick of this. I'm getting off mm -hmm. the road. I thought it was a perfect time to mm -hmm. say you know I'm I'm going to move on after thirty. It's been fantastic, and I'd rather stop you know move away now while it's feeling really good, and give you guys time to I, you know I I, I mentioned it to the guys at the beginning of two thousand seven, which gave them a year. Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, plot their next move and get things in place and, uh, you know, possible replacement if they're moving forward, which they found in Rob Marotti, which was a mm -hmm. fantastic selection as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And and that, that's the way it was, and, and that's mm -hmm. what it was meant to be. And after about three and a half, you know, four years, 
And I was just casually talking with, with Jim because I kept in contact with him, with Jim Crichton, and, mm-hmm. you know, how's it going and this and that. And I said, just out of you know, curiosity, I said, yeah, wouldn't, we, wouldn't it be cool if uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll come back and we'll do a, a mm-hmm. killer record and then, mm-hmm. you know, we'll go out there and we'll start filling the halls again and this and that and you know, relive the glory days, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> just for fun, we're talking mm-hmm. kind of that way. And and things were slowing down a tiny bit for the band and, and, and the, the, the conversations, you know, ended up being uh, more of a, so, Michael, uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. what about the, if you were to, uh, and one thing led to another, and we were talking about it, and I said, well, look, I said, you know, a number of things have to happen, uh, three things mm-hmm. have to happen for sure. The first thing that has to happen is you have to talk to, you have to call Rob immediately, mm-hmm. that we're even having this kind of conversation, mm-hmm. where, you know, that, that, that there's a possibility of a chance of a, you know, that, that maybe we'll talk about the chance of maybe coming back, mm-hmm. but we're having this conversation right now. Because the last thing I wanted was for them to turn around and go, "Hey, Rob, Mike's, uh, Michael's back. You're out. Thanks very much. Bye." Mm-hmm. You know, because they, 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 you know, you deserve much yeah. more respect than that. And sure. I said, second of all, you better run it past the guys, because yeah. you, there may be things that you don't know that maybe they don't want me to come back. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. make sure that they're cool. And finally, I have to discuss it with my family because that comes first at the moment, mm-hmm. and probably mm-hmm. will from now on. So let me find out. And I discussed it with my wife. She said, "You know what?" Your son knows who you are, and, and God knows there's enough videos on on, <laughs> on on YouTube if he wants to see what Dad's doing. Right. Um, and and this is who you are, you know. And yeah. and it's been four years. It, it's time to go go do that again, you know. So okay. she kicked me out, and and off I went. So when you make that decision, I, I don't know. And if this is too personal, you can tell me. But mm. are you financially stable enough that you retire and you just think I'm gonna? It's been thirty years. I'm gonna live out the rest of my life on a beach somewhere traveling or do you think i now i can go do all those solo projects i always thought (laughs) well that too but yeah it certainly freed me up to do solo things and and you know guest appearances and that kind of thing which i love doing i i mean i was in a position that i didn't have to to i mean by no means rolling in door thinking Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm financially secure for the rest of my life by no means but but Mm -hmm. enough to see the future the immediate future being calm so that wasn't uh, wasn't really a con- I don't think it was a, any more concern than for anybody else in any line of work or, or any okay. uh, lifestyle, as it were. So, no, I never worried okay. about that. That didn't come up. Okay. What no, did you not think really, of no. the Human Condition album that they did without you?
I thought it was phenomenal. It's extremely strong musically. I'm biased when it comes to the vocal because mm-hmm. it's not me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. But I have to say, if anybody's going to do it, Rod, I thought, did a phenomenal job. We, we are two different kinds of singers, and that's just, uh-huh. that's just you know, for anybody looking for someone to, like a clone of myself to step in, A, it would have been a mistake, and B, that wasn't going to happen, and that yeah. would have been the, exactly the wrong thing to do. You know, he took some a little bit of flack at the beginning because he was, first of all, he's walking in and singing songs that were established by someone for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, so it's my voice all over these songs, and he's being asked to th- sing these songs and, and then perform them live. And I've had a chance to perfect my craft on stage, as it were, or, or you know, the way I, I, I have a rapport with an audience. And that, I had to work on that for years and years and yeah. years. He took a bit of flack for the live thing for the you know, first mm-hmm. few gigs. And then I thought, that's not fair. And I, I yeah. you know, he defended him publicly saying, give the guy a break. You know? yeah. He's got, not got a lot of experience live. And as far as the voice, what were you expecting? He's not right. supposed to be a clone of me. Right. It's, almost, you know, it's like when, when Lou Graham put out a solo album. I remember the record company thinking, well, this is great, but it doesn't sound anything like Foreigner. And he said, well, you're not <laughs> supposed to sound like Foreigner. It's my solo album, you twit. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I but was thinking the, of them too. Yeah. No, but I no, I I thought I thought he did a phenomenal job, and I and I thank him for for keeping the the, the ship afloat while I was gone. Good. Where where is he now? I don't even know. I'm not sure where he is. Uh, I know he's, he's in Toronto. Um, uh, as far as I know, he he brought out a new product. I think last summer. I think he had a okay. new solo album out. But uh, good. It's it's very good. He's a, he's a he's a classic AOR rock singer. I mean he's good. he's um, he's he's very good at his craft. And I and like I say, I think he, he did a tremendous job on that record. It's one of my favorite good. saga records, actually. Good. Okay. Um, and then uh, I have to ask this too. So in 2017, I believe you guys do kind of a farewell tour. Everybody does farewell tours, and then they. <laughs> Change their mind. Is that what happened with you guys? Or yeah, it was, see, yeah, it was a complete design. We said, you know what, let's let's announce our retirement, and then we'll wait about a year, and then we'll jack up the well, price. Again. We'll, we'll call it back by popular demand. Uh, <laughs> that that doesn't stop Motley Crue from doing I know, that exactly. You know what the stupid thing is? It actually that's how it ended up working out. Yeah. And we had we had honestly said to ourselves, you know, that's like like I did in 2007. I said, you know, it's it, instead of 30, it's been 40. Look, guys, it's been 40 years. Perfect time. And I'd rather stop when we're at the top. Of of our game and we were at yeah. that moment yeah. especially live i mean we were we were hot on stage and and i said you know what do you think guys it, it's been 40 it's 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 as good as it's been for a very very long time i'd rather go out you know for the with the audience having this memory of us than kind of fading off into the sunset mm-hmm. and going oh you know people coming to see you because it's a nostalgic concert yeah and it's like uh-huh. oh i remember when they were oh i remember when they used to play this song well you know uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I i didn't want it to get to that anyway but mm-hmm. not that that was imminent i just thought here's a good time to do it it's been 40 years and quite honestly um after about a year's time, or within that year, uh, a, a lot of offers came in, and um, mm-hmm. it really was backed by popular demand, and it was yeah. not a plan, but it did actually work out that way. Yeah. And we just thought, the, the only difference being that, that, and I said at the time, that we were now in a position where we've, we've more than paid our dues, we've put 40 mm-hmm. years into this, and we've afforded ourselves the luxury of, if nothing else, being able to pick and choose mm-hmm. when we want to play. In other words, we want to play there because we really dig the people there. You know, mm-hmm. the, the money's a good thing. That, of course, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not going to deny that, but that, that's sure. beside the point. Um, we can go, oh, yeah, we really want to play that gig. Yeah, we really want to play that festival and this and that. So we can, we can and that way, everyone wins because the audience is dying to see you. We're dying to see you, too, and, they, mm-hmm. and, and this is ideal, and we pick this show, and we pick this tour, and this and that, and more in control of things. So 
Yeah, and one thing led okay. to another, and, and and before we knew it, we were we were pulling in bigger numbers than we had in in you know ten fifteen years. Yeah, that that's the part I think that gets lost, or maybe that people who scoff at bands who retire or do farewell tours and then come back. What would you do if you said, "I'm not gonna, I'm done, I'm not gonna make widgets anymore," and then someone came to you and said, "I'm gonna give you this chunk of money if you come do make some more widgets with me." And the you, and, and, and yeah and. The way you're going to make widgets from now on will be way cooler, and you'll yeah. you'll enjoy it even more. What are you going to say? Plus right. the fact that after all that time, come on, you know the, the road is the road, and, and that yeah. that that novelty wears off really fast. Like after a few years, it's like you know hotels and and traveling and planes and this. That was all so exciting. The beginning becomes so routine, and everyone will tell you that, especially after forty plus years. But the the, the playing life is nothing can replace that two hours. That's what you live for when you go on tour. It's it's yeah. magical and it's phenomenal and and, to, and try and 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 tell someone that they don't miss it after about a year especially when mm-hmm. then when like more than 50 percent of the band's existence has been the live experience and it always has been and it still is and to, to you know suddenly not be doing that it's like man i really miss that yeah. and it got to the point where there was a combination of missing it so much and everything falling into place gig wise and that kind of thing and offers and then the and and just being bombarded with people saying come on you know the last time we saw you you were you were just so great mm-hmm. come on you got you can't retire you got to come back yeah. so yeah. all of those things put together and it was just like you know what we got to do this we really yeah. do yeah yeah i agree so then going back to symmetry under normal circumstances how would you get this album across? I'm imagining you doing a regular show, a rock show, fully plugged in like you normally would, but maybe doing that acoustic set, breakout session, in the style of the Symmetry album. But I don't know, what would you be doing? Well, yeah, I, here's the, the tricky thing about Symmetry. It's not the kind of record, it's not a touring album as, no, as, as right. such, as you can imagine. Um, if we were to do some shows, I would suspect it would be very special occasions, like some one-offs here and there. But, we, you know, like when bands do it with a chamber orchestra and, and a mm-hmm. church or something that like that. But, yeah. but that kind of setting, an intimate setting, and have all the players there and, and do it like the record. Or, as you say, perhaps like we did in 2017, a portion of the show, we break down, we, we, uh, mm-hmm. we do a few of them, maybe the, the, the two medleys or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, address it that way. But we certainly, you know, it's not, the, it's not a touring record, as you say, uh, mm-hmm. or as I mentioned. So if we're going to do something from Symmetry on the next tour, and there will be a next tour, mm-hmm. and Good. another record, by the way, it'll be probably a portion of the show if we do it at all. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what that was what I was thinking too. How do you work an album like Symmetry yeah. into the live into a live setting? You'd have to do kind of special one-offs or right. a breakout session right. within a rock. Right. Well, so it's the nature of the record. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's it has to be treated it's a different kind of record, so it requires a different kind of presentation obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, well, we're coming up on time, and um, so I just wanted to, I there are a couple of questions that I ask just about everybody I ever talk to. Uh, one of them is, I wonder if you have any regrets. And when I say that, I, you know, we've all made decisions in our lives, sliding door type butterfly effect decisions where, you know, if I just, if I hadn't been so emotional or impulsive in that moment, things might have bounced differently for me. Do you feel that? Do you have any of those? I think everybody does, but I don't know that See, like you, like you were sort of alluding to. I mean, if you don't learn from mistakes, you're just an idiot. So yeah, everyone's yeah. going to make mistakes. Do I have regrets about some of the moves I've made? I don't know about regrets. Did I make some wrong decisions? Yes. But do I regret making certain moves? 
only when it came to perhaps uh, agreements that might have been signed at the time um, yeah. and making the wrong decision to sign that agreement. And that, But, you know, like you say, with butterfly effect and that kind of thing, I don't know what happened because we made a certain nah. decision. What may have ended up being a bad decision for us could have trickled down to be the best thing that happened to a certain individual. True. Had True. we not done that, that would not have happened. So I have yeah. to kind of look at it that way. Because of the, you know, the ripple effect is, is real, and people mm-hmm. have got to understand that. You know, yeah. you are, no one is inconsequential. Every action you take, as little as you think it may be, is going to affect somebody somewhere that day. So, no, I don't have the traditional okay. form of regrets, but, but put in that perspective, yes, there's things I probably would have maybe mm-hmm. done differently, but okay. would I, you know, anyway. Yeah, I don't, it's true I, for I, everybody. I, yeah, it is, it is, it really is. Okay. Uh, what about you personally? Do you, you're married and have a son? Did you, have you been married for a long time? Do you have other children as well? We're coming up on 20 years. Um, Good for you. I have um, a stepdaughter from my wife's first marriage mm-hmm. and uh, no other children that I know Good about. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. You are a rock star. You never know. We all have a past, right? <laughs> right, right. Okay. And then let's close it out with this. I. What's your favorite memory? When you sit back at your home up there up in Toronto and you're just like, you would not believe what happened to me. Was it meeting a hero? Was it hearing a song on a radio? Was it a really good show? Was it a great food or great groupie drugs? What was it? What's the thing? <laughs> All of the above. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> two. Okay. One is uh, when we played a, a festival in Germany, which really at the beginning of, of, of our, our world takeover at the time, as, as we like mm-hmm. to think of it. Uh, we played a festival in Germany called Rock am Ring, and we walked out on the stage, and there, they, the estimates go between seventy-five and, and 90,000 people. And it was remarkable. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And, and we're still, you know, still a fairly new band, but there's all these Canadian flags and people with their hands in the air yeah. and cheering. And I thought, does it get any better than this? Yeah. Somebody pinch yeah. me. I mean, this is That's ridiculous. Yeah. That and having the, the great, great, great pleasure of meeting Freddie Mercury um, many, many years ago. Uh, in a, just in a club setting after a gig uh, in Munich. Um, yeah, uh, very briefly, but I had a chance to actually uh, shake the man's hand. Who nice. he, I mean, he, he is well up there as being yeah. the, my favorite um, live performer. No one yeah. has ever been able to um, interact and, and, and feel an audience like, like Freddie did. So. He's probably the greatest front man of all time. I think so. I mean, from, yeah. from, certainly from my taste, what he could yeah. do, not only with his professional, you know, mm-hmm. he could, nothing he couldn't sing, obviously, but sure. the way he could... And he didn't, he somehow bridged that gap between the audience and the stage where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're in this together. We're, we're having an evening together. Yeah. You know, I'm not, a, it's not like we're the band, you're the audience. We like it that way and let's, let's mm-hmm. groove. But don't forget, you know, there's that line between. But, but still maintaining that distinction between the two, he could make people feel comfortable. Listen, anybody who can sit on the stage and the man next to you is just playing an acoustic guitar and you can mm-hmm. have 90,000 people singing mm-hmm. Love of My Life. Oh. In it, it, I, you watched that in particular, I think it was uh, in Rio, mm-hmm. and and chills. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on, you know. So yeah. so that kind of and he didn't abuse it. He didn't. No. Uh, he he, was, no. he never flaunted it in the sense that you know, aren't I amazing? Now do right. this because I told you to. You know. Right. No. Now did he come to see a saga show? No, they were just in town. I believe they were recording. They may have been recording uh, the album Jazz at the time, mm. and uh, I think we we were either recording or on tour. 
And there was a rock club in Munich um, at the time that everybody went to. I mean, called a rock disco, but only because the content was was rock music, pure rock yeah. music. There was a dance floor, but just for people who felt like bouncing to, you know, Motley uh-huh. Crue or, sure. or or Queen or Bowie or whatever. And it was where all the bands went to to, to chill. And it was cool because the people didn't really bother you per se, but they knew mm. you were there, mm-hmm. and they just happened to be uh, there at the same night we were, along with I think Roxy Music was in the building as well too. But uh, okay. I saw him over the bar, and I thought, should I, you know? And I went over and introduced myself, and then just very briefly, didn't, you know, told him I was a big fan and really yeah. appreciated his work and blah blah blah. But uh, That's great. it was cool. It was very. That's cool. great. Yeah. You know, that reminds me when you again having less of a idea of what saga's impact is here in the states when you go out in public are you recognized all over the place does everyone know there goes michael sadler frontman for saga um it depends where i'm sure if okay. i walked around in colorado it wouldn't happen <laughs> <laughs> well no there i mean there are, even like in toronto <laughs> it would certainly happen around in toronto in certain places okay. yeah in most cities in germany uh, depending on where you go I, certainly not the local grocery store but you yeah. know in in musical settings or whatever where people uh, okay. would recognize you do uh-huh. so it, it's it's kind of cool but uh, Good. It, it's funny because for the most part people are very respectful and if they uh-huh. do they will very very politely come up and say excuse me mr sadler uh, you know uh-huh. or, or excuse me aren't you da 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 would you mind uh-huh. a picture and that kind of thing so okay. um but yeah i mean it's a nice feeling obviously i'm yeah. just curious do you think you'll when when this is all over and you go back to touring do you think do you play the states very often, or is it mostly we, Canada? We started. And we started to get our, uh, you know, our, our, our toes kind of uh, wet mm-hmm. last year or the year before. Uh, we did a show in in New Jersey, Prague Stock, mm-hmm. and we also did a show at the uh, a theater in Chicago, uh, just to get a feel for the American thing. And um, I, I think what, what what I think what we've got to look for is a really good package uh, deal, mm-hmm. like a package yeah. tour with us with another maybe mm-hmm. one or two other bands uh, would be the way to do it. Uh, cost effective and, and, um, and, and, you know, more widespread. We could, we could cover more territory certainly mm-hmm. on a tour like that, but we, we are concentrating our efforts on trying to, to make, uh, make our way back into the States. So. Good. Good. Yep. Well, uh, Michael, I just love you. I, I, I think saga is special and I'm so glad you talked to me cause I've been wanting to do this. I've been a podcast for six years and you've been on my wish list the entire time. And now we finally did it. So thank there you, you for chatting with me. My pleasure, man. Absolute thank pleasure. You. I, I, I wish all the interviews could be more of a conversation like this. <laughs> me too. Thank you. All right, gang. There you have it. Michael Sadler, such a good guy. Saga is such a good band. Again, if all you know is on the loose or like the early stuff, just keep going. There's a lot of excellent stuff in there. I thought it was so impressive, too, the way he was talking about uh, when he left the band and the kind of political dynamic of what it meant to come back and what all needed to be in place beforehand, that was a very classy move. I think we can all think of many people who would not approach a topic like that as classy as Michael and the band did. Thank you, Michael, for sharing some time with me and for allowing me to stalk you on Twitter to make this even happen. Now, we're going to end it with Tire World off of Symmetry. Again, if you know Saga and you uh, are familiar with their stuff, go check out Symmetry too because it is really an interesting reworking of their stuff, of their music. If you're new to Saga, start somewhere else and then go back to Symmetry, but by all means, give it a listen. I love it. Now, uh, as I mentioned, we have a couple of months worth of great stuff coming up and next week is our sixth birthday. And I always try to put out an extra special guest for our birthday and we've got that too. 
as if we even needed it. Last week, John Waite, this week, Saga. Next week, somebody who is a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and an award-winning actor. Some of you may already know who that is. But anyway, we're gonna we're on a run here. I mean, uh, anyway. So I think you guys are gonna appreciate what we have coming up, not just next week, but for the next couple of months. And uh, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Mokiewicz for helping me and for producing this and making it sound fantastic. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. Um, you guys can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can find us, uh, you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And if you're new to the podcast and you came here for Saga, go back into the archives and check out other things we have done. We've been doing this for six years and it's great. It's consistently great. And if you're a music lover, you're bound to find many things that you'll enjoy. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you. Sleeping world, just waiting, tired world.